Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. This evening we will be in some different passages, so uh, we'll be not anchored in 1 Thessalonians 5 here this evening, but uh, we will have our start in that passage here this evening. I don't know if you played sports at all of any kind uh, when you were younger. Maybe you're still, you know, reliving your youth and are playing sports. But one of the things that I remember was that uh, you had uh, uh, part of the experience was having colorful coaches. Coaches that uh, were unique in their own ways and their own personalities. And, and uh, I can think through my own career that uh, I, I had a couple of coaches that I figured out real quick that they were merely just coaching because of the fact that they had gotten assigned that because it was all hands on deck in the school and they needed a coach and you know you could figure that one out uh, pretty easily uh, with some of the coaches that we had but um, I remember I never played basketball I didn't like basketball that much um, but uh, I grew in stature between my sophomore and junior year and got to be six feet which put me up in the upper echelon as far as size in the school that we were in uh, but I never really wanted to play basketball and part of it was the coach uh, the coach was not known for being an encourager he was one that was loud and he would you know say things and whatever and and uh, at times it was just kind of like oh wow you know I, I would I want to play for him uh, and the like um, I can remember you know, some coaches that were good at um, exp or trying to get details across, but would get frustrated when things didn't get worked out. What I always found was the, the interesting thing was is that it always seemed like the volleyball coach, which I didn't play women's volleyball for a reason, uh, but uh, it always seemed like when the, the, the girls played volleyball, they always had the coach that was, you would just simply describe it this way, an encourager. You know, they're always happy, they're always saying nice things, even though, you know, you've just done really badly, they're happy for you and whatever, and we had uh, a coach like that, we had a coach here for a long time uh, that was an encourager, he was just known for that, and that went a long ways uh, with individuals that, you know, even though you may have done badly or failed, or you didn't feel like you're accomplishing anything, if you had someone that was coming alongside that was uh, wearing a smile and it was just very kind and, and uh, this, that you ended up playing better. In fact, probably better than if the coach was yelling and screaming, hollering, saying, do a better job and whatever else. Uh, you would find that uh, a coach that was an encouraging coach even though they might be quiet, was more effective, oftentimes when it came to sports. When it comes to the Christian life, we have a responsibility to encourage one another. It's not uh, something that is only for a certain few that are of nice spirit and and are calm and, and uh, good individuals, as we might say. Um, it's a responsibility for all of us. When you read in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you, you go through the passage in chapter 4 and chapter 5 are talking about end time events and just getting the, the church at Thessalonica settled in their mind about the events that are coming up. And you say, why were they concerned about end time events? It's because they were going through difficult times. Uh, they seem to be uh, one of the first churches to suffer major persecution, both by the government and from the Jews. 
Uh, and so for them, being a Christian wasn't an easy thing. They were looking for the Lord to come back, uh, and he couldn't come too soon in their mind. Uh, and for her, Paul, he spent a lot of time talking about the end times. And when he got done with that statement, uh, the statements about what's going to happen in the future, verse 11 of chapter 5, it says this, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even also, as also ye do. Now, I'm going to give you an understanding of what that word comfort is. That's the word we're looking at, not the edify one another. The idea here is that you comfort one another, you edify, you go, what is edify? It's just a fancy word for building people up. But that's the, the phrase that we're supposed to be doing towards one another as believers. We're supposed to be encouraging one another. And for the church at Thessalonica, Paul is giving them a commendation because it already seemed like even though there was difficult times and things weren't going right, and even in some of their, their dealings with each other, they had already failed and the apostle Paul had to correct it. He just simply said, you're the type of church that is encouraging one another. And in that encouragement, you're building each other up. You're, you're strengthening the character of individuals. So when it comes to this, I mean, I could be done here and go encourage one another, have a good night, um, and uh, you know, stay around and talk and, and, and do that. But I, I want us to go back to the beginning of why we as individuals should be encouragers of one another. And so we're going to go back to the very core, the beginning of this idea of encouragement. So I want us to turn back in our Bibles to John chapter 15. The Gospel of John chapter 15. As you go through the scriptures, uh, when the, the Apostle Paul, actually chapter 14, excuse me, I'm, I'm sorry on that, chapter 14, what we find is a passage of scripture in chapter 14, 15, 16, and some include 17, which is the Lord's last times with his disciples before he's crucified. Disciples have been informed of the fact that the Lord's going away and they're thinking in earthly terms. Well, where is he going to go? Is he going to go to a, a faraway city? He's going to go to another country. Uh, where is he going to go? We ought to be able to go with him. And he just simply says, you can't go with me. And for these disciples, that was upsetting because they had spent the last three and a half years, uh, some of them full-time, some part-time initially, but for full-time, for about two and a half years, they had been following Christ everywhere that he went. They had been a part of conversations, and they had been around one another. They ate meals together. They had been with one another all this time. And the Lord says, I, I'm not going to be here anymore. What they didn't understand, and the Lord has to make this clear in John chapter 14, that he's going away to prepare a place for them. 
There's this passage that eventually Thomas asks, where are you going? And he tells him, uh, this is the case. And then he says this, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father. Nobody's getting to heaven but by Jesus Christ. There's no other way to get to heaven except through him. And so there's a lot of discussion in the passage. And you find eventually in verse number 16 of chapter 14 you find this statement that the lord makes and he says this and i will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not nor neither knoweth him but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you I will not leave you comfortless, or the, the word there is, I will not leave you orphanous, an, an orphan. I will come to you. Here when the Lord is recognizing that he's about to go away, he just simply says this, I am going to ask the Father to send someone to be an encouragement to you. Okay, the way ours translated here, it's, a, it's comforter, or it's sometimes in some translations translated helper. But the Lord says, I'm not going to just abandon you and go, okay, you're on your own in this world. You have to figure out these things on your own. No, I'm going to send one who is going to be a comforter to, a comforter to you, and that one's going to be the Spirit. And you see it in capital letters there in verse number uh, 17, uh, the Spirit of truth. What we're talking about here is the Holy Spirit. The believers back in the Old Testament times did not have the Holy Spirit full-time. In fact, as you read through the Old Testament, uh, the believers that had the Holy Spirit were individuals who were leaders where the Spirit came upon them for the task at hand, for them to do the things that they were supposed to do, but they did not have the Holy Spirit in them. They were saved. They were believers in Christ uh, or the Messiah and uh, what God had declared. They had faith, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. What the Lord says here is this, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And you go, well, when did this happen? Well, Acts chapter 2 is that occasion where you have the Holy Spirit coming upon believers, that uh, he now dwells in them. And uh, don't get confused by the fact that you can possibly lose the Holy Spirit or that you have to work and get the Holy Spirit. There are some that uh, teach the fact that you have to uh, get a filling of the Spirit, that you get saved, and then you have to have the Spirit come upon you on a separate occasion. No, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit became a part of your life. And the Holy Spirit, in His responsibility, is to be, this is, it, the word is here, comforter but i just want to go and to get to the greek word that's behind this the word behind this is a word that is periclesis or a parakaleo is the verb version of this and that word para means to be alongside and that word the kaleo is the word to call here is one who's been called alongside to be with us. It would, it would be a term that would be very similar to uh, someone that was, uh, say for instance, you ended up being in court. Hopefully that doesn't happen too often, but uh, you were in court and you wanted some help. And so who do you call? You call a a doctor. Yes, no, you, you call a lawyer uh, to be a help in what you should be doing. 
to encourage you and here's what's going to happen here's a bright outlook on what's going to happen in this case here and here's the things that you need to do and here's what you may need to file when you're in court and here's the things you need to say and here's the things you need to do that's what the comforter is in the sense of one who's called alongside to be an encouragement to help you and I, I will say this, this is a very broad word that is here. This word is used throughout the New Testament, and it's sometimes translated this way, to beseech. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That, that term, that's the word that we have here. One who comes alongside for the purpose at times of encouraging, to comfort, to help, to challenge, to urge you say it's kind of a person who does everything to get you to do what you need to do and to give you the help when you need it the answer is that's what the holy spirit is there to do his responsibility is to do what the savior was doing for these individuals as he walked on the earth he was the one who was helping them he was the one that was challenging them he was the one that was encouraging them now that he is in heaven, now we have the Holy Spirit not walk, or excuse me, we don't have God walking next to us like the disciples did. We now have God in us, the Holy Spirit. And his work is to help us, to encourage us, to inspire us, to challenge us. Now the question is, how does he do this? You have to think through, how does the Holy Spirit give us the greatest amount of courage, encouragement? Through what means? He's got a tool that's, that's named after him. Okay, you have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, as the Scripture talks about. You know, sometimes people say, I got a, you know, a moving of the Spirit and He told me to do this and this. And I'm, and I'm going, okay, that's nice. But more often than not, what the Spirit does is He reminds us of things that have been said in the Word. That's His major tool. And you say, so what is the major way of God being able to encourage us? It's through His Word. And for us to be encouraged, what that then requires of us is for us to be, what? Taking in the Word of God. As you read through the, the Scripture. The Scripture is doing the very thing the Holy Spirit's supposed to be doing. It challenges us. It urges us. It helps us. It comforts us at certain times. The Word of God does that. The Spirit of God uses that and does that at the very time where we need something to happen. It's usually a verse or something that you've heard in the preaching of God's Word that comes to your mind and you go, well, what is that? It's the Holy Spirit using His tool, the instrument of the Word of God, to do that work of encouraging and helping and, and doing the things that need to happen. So for us as believers and the idea of where we're supposed to encourage one another, well, let's you go back to the beginning. Who's the one who gives us the ability to encourage? It's the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And for him, the major tool of encouraging uh, individuals is through his word. And as you look through the scriptures, you find at certain times uh, that this word is used uh, in the context 
that we're supposed to be encouraging one another, it's in the context of the Word of God. You don't need to turn to this passage, but it's a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy is written to a young pastor who's got responsibility for a congregation as the individual that's in the one responsible for the leadership uh, and the shepherding of that congregation. He's got a responsibility uh, to encourage, to help, to urge, to challenge. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you have this uh, statement made to Timothy by the Apostle Paul. These are the last words of uh, Paul because after he writes this letter, he's executed. But his challenge to Timothy is this. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. That means that there's never an an off season when it comes to being a pastor. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. There's our word again. This time it's translated exhort uh, with all longsuffering and doctrine. See, the, the Word of God, as you, you, you know from perhaps 2 Timothy, or, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, just before this passage, it says this, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, doctrine, reproof. You go, what's that? Uh, sometimes we didn't do well. We failed. And then it has this, for reproof, for correction, you go, what's correction? Correcting those things that are wrong. Hey, let's fix this. And then lastly, uh, that it is also profitable for reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And that's the idea that you constantly have to train this over and over again. Like you do with children. The Word of God that a pastor supposed to preach is already doing the work of reproving, rebuking, exhorting, comforting helping that 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 terminology and so as a pastor for for me you go where do you come up with encouraging words where do you do this well you know i go to the reader's digest and i read that you know i get their stories at the end and and you know it's kind of warm and fuzzy and that no you know where i get my words of comfort and where i get my words to help and my words to encourage you in what's right and to fix those things that are wrong and encourage you in the right way is from the Word of God. I'm wasting your time if I'm not preaching the Word, if I'm not doing those things. And so uh, for a pastor, the ability to encourage is attached to the Word of God and the ability to do that. But it's not only pastors that bear up the responsibility of encouraging uh, believers, other believers to do what's right and sometimes challenge when they, they've failed and just kind of uplift them and help them. It's the responsibility of believers. And I want us to turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, by this point in the, the book, you've gotten to the point, if you've read through Hebrews, you understand that Christ is better. Christ is better than anything, any law, any angels, uh, any priesthood, any religious ceremony. Jesus Christ is better because it states it over and over and over again that Christ is better. You get to Hebrews chapter 10 and he's now at the point in this letter, whoever wrote Hebrews is at the point where he's going, okay, let me challenge you with something. 
now that you've learned all these things, that Christ is better, that he is a better way. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20, it says this, that through Christ we have a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Now we have this new life in Christ. Then you see this, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of the faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but, and here's that phrase, here's that word again, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For these individuals that this letter was written to understand, it's got the title of Hebrews, it's written to Jews that were followers of Jesus Christ, and they had family members that were pressuring them to go back to the old ways, to go back to the old life. And there was pressure because there was the threat of being thrown out of the family, perhaps being thrown out of work from your family, and even in some cases suffering physical persecution from family members who were trying to bring these individuals back from this belief in Christ. The Jews were the ones who suffered the most at the hands of other Jews when it came to Christianity. And so if you have an individual that's like that, that's being challenged, give up this new way of living, this new way of following Christ. You know what a person like that's going to need? Encouragement. They're going to need strengthening. They're going to need help. They're going to need that reminder of the fact that there are certain things that are true. When believers get together, they have the ability to challenge one another, as it says here in verses 22 and 23 and 24, uh, to remind us to hold fast to the profession of our faith. That's what it says in verse 23. It's just reminding an individual, listen, what else is there? Without Christ, what would you have? You'd have nothing. Why would you want to give him up? He's your all in all. He's your only hope of glory. Uh, why would you give up Christ? And you just need someone at times just to come along and remind you, there is nothing else. You've got everything that you need in Christ. You don't want to abandon him. You don't want to give him up. And, and part of that then is this. Verse 24, let us consider one another and provoke one another to good works. We challenge one another to good works. You know, sometimes you, you go, it's going to be difficult to do what's right. It is going to be difficult to do what's right. And sometimes you just need to someone else to come alongside and go, well, you know what? This is what we have to do. This is the right way. This is the good thing. Let me come alongside. I'll pray for you. And let me remind you, this is the best way to live. You, you don't live right. What do you find yourself doing? You get yourself in all sorts of trouble all sorts of difficulty. And so I'll pray for you. I'll come alongside you. And I can remember occasions where 
even in my household, there, there were individuals that my dad ended up uh, having to counsel or help out. He was a deacon in the church. And I can remember my dad just regularly calling individuals over and over again. They were bound by some sort of habit of some kind, a destructive habit. And he would just call them regularly and uh, make sure that they were doing okay and he would meet with them periodically but more often than not he would have it regularly scheduled to go and and just call this person and go how's it going you know and the person would be like well i didn't do so well today well you know that's fine we fail at times the lord gives us the the right to come and ask for forgiveness and you don't have to do this you have a freedom in christ uh and uh, you can do this i'll be praying for you there's others that are broken free of this uh, with their focus on christ you can do that i mean that's the type of thing we're talking about here just someone that that is the cheerleader for an individual to encourage them that don't give up uh, your christian faith and don't uh, give way to those things that will be destructive to you and it sometimes is as we as a church uh, members are the ones that are the encouragement we're doing i'm going to say this uh ta- or not tactfully but uh, understanding what i mean by this we're doing the work of the holy spirit we're encouraging them along just as the holy spirit's doing that he's using us as an instrument to be able to encourage individuals to stay the course that they need to be on and be doing the things that they need to do and so that's the reason that we we ought to be getting together not to just because you're you're told and you have to endure through service and you have to hear somebody preach and someone you know and you you leave no we're here to encourage one another that's why we ought to get together it's not that we just bolt out of here Uh, sometimes we just need to talk and that ought to be what goes on and so for believers we can encourage each other as hebrews 10 says here we can be the ones to encourage people to stay true to the faith to help us stay and what is right to spur us uh, towards the love and to good works but we can also comfort one another in bad times. I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And as you're turning there, the Apostle Paul did encourage individuals who had been, well, suffered loss. One of the passages I more often than not turn to when I am preaching a funeral is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 makes clear that uh, when we're speaking about a Christian, we're putting their body in a grave, that someday what's going to happen is that there is going to be a voice and the shout of the archangel and the trump of God and the body that we've just put in the ground will come forth to meet the lord in the air and those that have come back with him that have died uh, in the faith that their body is going to meet their soul and spirit and it's going to be new someday and then we're going to follow them in an instant to be with them with the lord forever and ever and paul ends that passage he goes through all that explanation and he just simply says this wherefore comfort one another with these 
words. The Apostle Paul would do this in difficult times and loss. He would be an encourager, a reminder of the things that are right. Well, you get to 2 Corinthians, and Paul starts his letter off, and he must have been thinking about difficult times because by the time he gets to the end of the letter we understand that the apostle paul is under all sorts of assaults from people that had used to be been his friends that are now assaulting his character and who he is and what he preaches and how he lives his life and so the apostle paul may very well have been writing this letter to provide comfort for other people who were suffering at the hands of people that had been friends that we're attacking character. You say, why is that? Well, look at verse number three. Paul starts off his uh, letter, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. It says this, Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all... Here's our word again. He's the God of all comfort. Who comforteth us in all our tribulations, that word comfort is there again, that we may be able to comfort them, well there's that word again, to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so are, here's that word again, consolation. Why didn't they translate the same? I don't know, but it's the same word in the Greek. This word for encouragement also aboundeth by Christ. Whether we be afflicted, it is for your comfort your consolation and your salvation which is effectively the enduring of the same sufferings which we suffered or whether we be comforted it is for your comfort and consolation and salvation and then you get to verse 7 our hope is of you is steadfast knowing that ye are partakers of the suffering so shall you be of the consolation uh, this is a passage that as you mark it through it's all about this word comfort exhortation encouragement it's the same word throughout and what the Apostle Paul just simply says is this, what you can do is come alongside individuals and there have been occasions in your life where things have gone badly, but God has been able to encourage you and give you comfort in times like that. And what you're supposed to do with, and I will say this, that's a gift. Okay, suffering is sometimes a gift. Do we believe that bad things that from our perspective are sometimes good things that we don't recognize right then and there, but it's going to yield something in the future? So it is, we go through bad times and God does things in our life through those difficult times and we are able to make it through those times. And then as we go through life, all of a sudden we come along another fellow believer who's going through something just like that. And you say, what's the opportunity? I'm able to come alongside that person and comfort and encourage them with the same comfort that I was comforted with in that same situation years before. I can at least point them to that uh, understanding of these are things that are true. These are things that have happened and, and are real, that God uh, is not, has not abandoned you. He is right there with you through all of this. As I was thinking about this, I had situation that just for me when i think of this passage in second corinthians chapter one i i remember an occasion back uh in 1995 i was in grad school at college and um it was a saturday if i remember my my dates correctly it was a saturday and mid-afternoon i got a phone call from my mom and she was crying 
my mom didn't cry. That wasn't the thing my mom did. That was just not part of her character. And she is crying on the phone. And she said this, dad went into the hospital and he had an issue with uh, basically his intestines had gotten to the point where they were going to explode. They found out later he had some disease that they missed, but they thought it was some sort of fever. And my mom was in tears and she's going, he's going in the emergency room and I don't think he's going to make it. Now for me, that was saying something because my mom was a nurse. And she worked with things like this and had seen things like this. And so the phone call was this, you better get here as quickly as you can because your dad is, is dying and he may not make it. The quicker the better. And so I told my wife, I said, we got to go. I said, we're going to miss school here. I'll call the dean of men and tell him I'm going to be gone. I don't know for how long, but this is an emergency situation. I'm sorry. Uh, And I will be back. And we drove. Now, this is 1995 is a time before cell phones. I know that's hard for some to imagine that there was a life like that, but uh, there was no such thing as cell phones. And so I get in the car thinking that I am not going to go and be able to see my dad because he's going to be gone. As I drove out of town, I I had a a Christian radio station on on the radio. And this is just stirring through your mind. You know, I can't believe this is happening. You know, there was no real warning on this, whatever may be the case. And there was a song that came on the radio and it was a, a spiritual uh and uh the lines uh, in the course were just simply this there ain't no dying in that heavenly land you know they sing different things in it but 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 that statement there ain't no dying in that heavenly land and all of a sudden i was like you know i'm upset by this but if my dad dies he's going to a place where there is no more dying you know, it, it's not that I should be absolutely discouraged, though I will be saddened by the fact that I didn't get to say anything, la- you know, last things to him or that kind of thing, because it was rather a shock. But the comfort was this. The scripture makes clear that there is no more death. There is no more sorrow. There's no more dying, uh, no more sin in heaven in the presence of God. And that's where my, my dad was going. That provided me comfort. Now, that didn't completely calm everything, but that gave me a peace of mind. That was beyond uh, human understanding where I began to realize I can be upset by this, but if the Lord takes an individual that knows Christ, they're in a much better place than being here. You know, I went to see my dad this week. So you go, okay, so the the story turned out well. It did. I got got to the house. The lights were on in the house. I met my sister and my, my mom there at the house and they said they did emergency surgery. He's at the hospital. Um, you can't see him right now. You can see him tomorrow morning, but uh, they think that he's okay. And it was a recovery for him that was a, uh, a lengthier recovery for him. But the fact is, is I now have an experience that I've gone through. Sudden news of somebody possibly passing. And for believers, you just simply understand this. It is a loss, but for a person that is going to be with God, there is no loss. In fact, when Christ or when Paul talked about it, he said this, for me to live is Christ and to die 
is gain. And you go, what, what's that? It's a financial term to basically say you've got everything if you're in the presence of the Lord. And so you have experiences of life that the Lord has allowed you to go through that you may go, I don't understand why I went through this, but God got me through it. And it may very well be that you're the instrument of encouragement to somebody else, a comforter to individuals who are going through an exact same situation, and you can comfort them with the comfort with which, with which you were comforted from God when you went through that situation. That's the opportunity. That's part of the one anothering that we have to encourage one another, to help one another to strengthen one another. We have that ability and the opportunity to be able to encourage and help one another. And thinking about this idea that we're supposed to be ones who encourage uh, others, I was trying to think through the Scripture, is there an example of this? And there's one that's very clearly an example of being an encourager. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4, and this is the last passage that we're going to turn to this evening. In Acts chapter 4, we have uh, the early church in Jerusalem. They're suffering uh, persecution. Some are suffering financial loss because they become followers of Christ and they get thrown out of their homes and the like. And, and so what the church is actually doing in some cases is helping out believers, there, people are giving to a common fund uh, that people can draw from that are in need and that the church can use to, to give to individuals that are needing of help. And in the midst of that, uh, that event, there is an individual, as uh, you, you find, and I'll just read the passage here. Verse, thir- for, excuse me, verse 32 of chapter 4 in Acts, it says this, talking about the church and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul there's a unity neither said any of them that ought to of the uh, ought of the things which he possessed was his own but they had all things common with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the lord jesus great grace was upon them all neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need i mean people are doing this they're going okay there's people in this church that are in need so what can we do to encourage them in the time of need well i've got some extra land or property or goods i'm going to sell these things and give it to the church and say you use it as it's needed you know where some of these uh, individuals are in need of help and you do this but the book of acts in chapter 4 gives us the example of one individual verse number 36 and joseph who by the uh, apostles was named barnabas which is being interpreted the son of consolation or we might say comfort or encouragement we can use whatever i mean we got multitudes of words that we could use there the son of encouragement a levite of the country of cyprus having land sold it brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet what's probably the amazing part of this is that we don't quite understand this it was probably a large sum of money 
It was probably a big piece of property. Being a Levite, some of these Levites were very wealthy individuals. It was as a result of them working in close proximity to the temple, and they had money. And if we understand, if John Mark was a relative of Barnabas, uh, John Mark's family was a wealthy family. But whatever the case may be, this one known as Joseph is one who is eventually just known. We don't know him. If I was to go, okay, who's Joseph in the Bible? And everyone would be like, hmm. I have no idea who that is. But if I was to say, do you remember Barnabas? Like, oh yeah. Well, that's not his real name. This is a given name. We might say this is a nickname for him, Barnabas. Bar-Nabas. Bar in the Hebrew is the word son. Nabas is the idea of encouragement. It translated into the Greek for you to be able to understand the fact he is the son of encouragement. I mean, abstract ideas are the hardest things to try and explain sometimes. You know, how do you, you know, how do you define courage or love or you know emotions are hard things virtues are hard to do but here you have an example what if encouragement you know could could we get an illustration of encouragement well we've got one that if encouragement was to have a son it'd be this guy barnabas Uh, He's willing to sell what he has to encourage people who are in time of need. And he does this. Now, you read the story after this. It's Ananias and Sapphira who have a piece of property and sell part of it. And then they come in and bring it in. And they're hoping that people will be like, wow, that's so impressive. And they were just a bunch of hypocrites trying to get show. Barnabas is just doing this out of sincere heart going, I'd like to help people. And, And this is how his whole life goes. Because it's not only this occasion that we know about Barnabas. Uh, You get to Acts chapter 11. And Acts chapter 11, Barnabas is called, uh, he's always called to go and take care of missions in different places. But Acts chapter 11 is especially significant because he goes and what he does is uh, he finds an individual by the name of, well, excuse me, let me back up here. Acts chapter 11. Barnabas goes to Antioch, and it's a new church that has all sorts of things going on. And Barnabas goes, I'm going to need help. So he goes across the the, the Mediterranean Sea. There's a little gap between Antioch and Turkey and goes to a city there by the name of uh, Cilicia, where he finds an individual by the name of Paul in a town called Tarsus. He goes, I know Paul. You go, how did you know Paul? Well, He knows Paul from back in Acts chapter 9 because when Paul first got saved, no one wanted to be around him in Jerusalem. Paul got saved in Damascus. He was three years outside of Jerusalem before he came back to Jerusalem. When he comes back to Jerusalem, people go, isn't this the one that threw my family members in jail? had some of my family members executed, and now he's claiming to be a Christian. And what you find is that Barnabas comes alongside, that's what that word means, come alongside, and he comes alongside of Paul. He finds out what's going on with Paul, gets to know him, and takes him around to the people in the church and goes, this is one who has truly been saved. He knows Jesus Christ is Savior. This is not a a, a deception uh, act on Saul's part. He's a believer. He knows that. And so he goes around and introduces the Apostle Paul. He's helping him along as he's introduced to these people who had been his 
foe had been his uh, prey, I would say, because he was like a wild animal hauling people out of their homes. Barnabas comes alongside and goes, this is one that's truly saved. Well, Paul had to leave the city because he was going to be killed, and so he went back to his hometown. Barnabas, when he gets to Antioch, is, is trying, he's trying to think, i got to get somebody to help me. He goes and finds Paul, and this is where Paul really gets his, his major start, eventually becoming, well, the missionary that we know Paul to be. But it's because Barnabas went and found him and said, I need help here, and he's the encourager going, you can do this. I need help. You read the story eventually as these individuals took their first missionary journey and they see all sorts of churches established together and they come back to Jerusalem and they're going to go on in a second missionary journey. And you read in Acts chapter 15, there's a fight between Paul and Barnabas. I mean, we wouldn't have believed it if we hadn't read it. But there's a fight between them. You go, what's the fight? Barnabas wants to take, uh, I believe it's his nephew, is the family relation, an individual by the name of John Mark. And you go, John Mark, uh, who, who's this? John Mark had gone on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, and he left halfway through. He went back to Jerusalem. He quit. He was a quitter. And Barnabas goes, well, let's give him a second chance. And the Apostle Paul goes, I'm not taking that guy with me again. He left us. I don't want him to go with us. And you have, the words are there, there's this big battle on this. But Barnabas goes, listen, I'm going to, you know, I think we can salvage John Mark here. We can be a help to him. And the Apostle Paul goes, no, uh, I don't want to be with him. Well, Paul goes his own way. Barnabas goes his own way with John Mark. In God's providence, he sends out two missionary groups now to go to different locations rather than one going. They separate out and they do this. But in one of Paul's letters in 2 Timothy, when he's about to die, he's asking for someone to be sent to him. And he's asking for one John Mark to be sent to him. And Paul's statement is this. Because he is profitable to me. You know, how did John Mark, a quitter, suddenly, and, and Paul is refusing to have him as a part of his ministry. At the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy 4, he's saying, could you send him here? I'm here in jail. He's a profitable individual. He can help me. It's because John Mark had an individual who came alongside him and helped him for multiple years encouraged him in the ministry told him that he could do it let him do it and then years later the apostle paul is having to kind of eat his words but he's going it's because someone helped him along that he's now where he needs to be at he's profitable to me that's that's the work of barnabas he was an encourager People that were failures or outsiders or ones who had quit. He's coming alongside him and going, no, 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 it's okay. We, 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 you know, this, this can be done. You can be a follower of Christ and do it the way that you should. And he did this to the prophet of the church. I mean, you think about this. He's got the Apostle Paul. He wrote 13 books of our Bible. You think about John Mark. He wrote one of our books of our Bible. As far as we know, Barnabas didn't write anything. Some question maybe Barnabas wrote Hebrews, but that's a question for another time. 
But because of Barnabas, he's coming alongside individuals and he is able to encourage them to the point where they are out on their own and able to do encouraging work for the whole of the church. So for us, when we think about this, what is, what is encouragement like? Do a study on the, the life of Barnabas. Just read through in the book of Acts. You'll see all sorts of stuff about him. But his nickname was, he's one who's birthed from encouragement. And for us, we're supposed to be doing the same work as 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, that we are to be comforting one another. Encur- you know, and you just, this is a hard word to follow through because in your English translation, it's translated so many different ways. Comfort, encourage, exhort, help. To admonish, to beseech, to challenge. But we have that responsibility. But it's something you can do. You've got the Holy Spirit who is the chief encourager to help you along to do the things that you need to do to be then the encouragement to others and the help and the strengthener that you ought to be. You can be like Barnabas. Uh, You can be an individual that is an encourager, getting people to do what they need to do, to hold true to the faith and find comfort in the worst of times. And it's our opportunity and our privilege to be encouragers. Lord, we thank you. There are many in this room that probably can think of individuals in their own life that came alongside and were encouragers in their Christian life. Whether it was in difficult circumstances they went through, whether it was at times of failure in their life, There was someone who did that work of encouraging. Reminding them of truths about God. Reminding them of truths of Scripture. Exhorting and and admonishing and and, uh, helping. There's a lot of people that could say there were individuals like that in their life. Lord, may we View that as a ministry for each one of us. Not just a select few in the church that are the nicer people, but uh, the ones that, uh, that, that are always uh, good to people. No, we all have the responsibility to, to come alongside and to help, comfort, admonish, and encourage. It, it's our work. It's our ministry. We can do it. May we do it well. So that it might be said of us that we're like Barnabas. Our whole life's about being an encouragement to others. So help us to do this work well. Who knows, it may be that there are individuals that are in glory as the result of us being encouragers, helpers. That we came along and strengthened somebody uh, in a time of need and they go off and do a work that we would never be able to do. But it was because of our help and encouragement that got them in the path they needed to be on to do a work that we couldn't do ourselves. So let us take this work up. Give us strength from your spirit. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.